Welcome to the Got Your Six podcast. This podcast brings together current service members and veteran high performers to share their methods, strategies, and ideas delivered in an informative and most importantly, actionable way that'll help you lead yourself and those around you from the battlefield to the boardroom. Coming to you every episode, I'm your host, Tony Nash, and into the breach. Nothing mentioned on this podcast is an endorsement or opinion of the Department of Defense. I got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. Got your six, we got your back. I got your six. Sixers, usually I say this is a treat for the guests we have on the episode. This is a treat, but it's going to be a masterclass. Travasso Chevy Cook is joining us today. Sir, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time, not only with me, but the Sixers. Currently, the executive director and co-founder of Military Mentors, and we're going to dive into that, what that looks like. Sir, thank you again. and Welcome to the show. I am very glad to be here with you, Tony. I'm glad to have your six today and have everyone else's out there uh, have your back too. So thanks for tuning in and let's dive in and uh, exchange some, uh, some good thoughts. We talked right before the show about you know, as you start to grow an organization, it's not always about looking at the CV and finding the person with the exact skill set you're looking for. Sometimes you need to talk to that person, understand what's going on, make sure that they not only share the purpose, but the mission that you're on in that organization. How did that come to be kind of a guiding point for you as you continue to expand military mentors? That's a great question. You know, at a kind of simple level, a couple of years ago, I was having a lot of turnover in the organization. And I had one of our board members say, hey, Chevy, maybe you would need to think about your hiring process. So it was real practical advice. And he just said, hey, you know what? What I want you to do is why don't you do like a 90 day process? Why don't you like look at a person's, you know, what they bring to the table, you interview them and all that. But then you give a, a kind of 90 day period where you see whether they want to be involved or not. And through that, doing that a couple of times, I learned kind of a next step. So if that's a practical and kind of baseline stuff, I learned that going through that 90 day process for me helped me see a little bit deeper into who a person was. So it started to show me, right, you know, what they're saying and what's on their resume was all in their head, but it showed me two other things. So in particular, it showed me what was in their heart. It, there's a lot of people that want to be a part of nonprofit organizations or want to impact the universe for a wide range of reasons. But I found over time, a lot of that's for a resume bullet or something later on down the line. You re when you're really cooking with grease, as they say in the South, the person has something in their heart. And that's what you want to get to as well. You really want to feel what that um, most people would say passion. I'm actually not looking for passion I'm looking for purpose. Ryan Halliday would distinguish those two in his book, Ego is the Enemy. And he would say that, you know, purpose is something that's just like a fire, very uncontrollable where that's passion. And then purpose would be like, you know, basically a laser pointer, really focused, right? So those would be the differences there. But also I learned through that 90 day process about somebody's gut, somebody's hunch, somebody's kind of spirit and soul and how we were connected. And if I had a gut feeling about the person, then I would kind of move to the next step. And one of the best examples of that is our director of programs, Sabrina. She's an absolute rock star. She has a very pure spirit. She has a very inquisitive mind. 
And she has a good sense of feeling, not just for what's going on in the organization, but for maybe my vision or what the team is thinking about. So it's in her gut too. And my gut has always told me like, yes, this is the right person. So Sabrina is one of those people that's on the team that, oh, by the way, is a stay-at-home spouse, homeschools her three kids. Most people say, well, why would you bring a person like that to the busy work that you got to do? Well, it's because her head's right, her heart is right, and her hunch is right, period. Understanding that gut intuition where it's not just for people to solve problems, but anticipate problems that could occur. It benefits across the board, left and right. And you've seen this in different leadership roles you've had inside and outside the military. Yes, absolutely. That really kind of started for you. Did you kind of like read about it somewhere as you kind of came up in the ranks? Was there a particular course you took or somebody gave a speech? Where do you think it kind of started? You know, that's a, that's a also a great question. I, I probably get it from Mama J, uh, the lady who, you know, raised me. Uh, I was adopted by my next door neighbor. Her name is Jeanette Lemon, and we call her Mama J for short. She's my mama. She was literally my next door neighbor at one point. And I will tell you this. She um, is not college educated, but she has this wisdom about herself, this kind of Southern charm, the Southern wisdom that many of us know about. And she also has this ability to like, just have a feel, right? So I'm, I'm talking about her head, her heart, and her hunch right now, right? She just has this feel and has always been able to give advice to me, to my wife, because my wife has been around uh, her since high school, to many people in our family where she just kind of has this ability to, you know, think through things, though she's not super educated, have the right purpose in her heart, even though everybody's not giving her accolades and she doesn't, you know, have a million dollar business and just have this gut feel for doing the right thing. I I don't want to make this religious, but the reason I am a religious person is because I think I borrowed her from heaven. She's a my my proof of an angel on the planet. And I think I really learned it from her. And it's not like she sat me down one day and was like, hey, Chevy, you got to look into somebody's heart. Somebody said she didn't give me those three components. She just demonstrated it. She led by example in my household. She still does in my life. And uh, I've just tried to be my best version of her, I think, to honor her, uh, not only as, you know, changing my address from being a next door neighbor to her son, but to, you know, pay it forward. Because, you know, I can never pay my mom back. But a lesson I definitely have learned is I can absolutely pay it forward. Right. It's not transactional. It's transformational. When it comes to that point, right? You, you can never pay back Absolutely. those people that gave you what you needed to go forward. And education, I mean, you have a wall of degrees from very prestigious yeah, oh, places. Yeah. Lucky, very a- lucky. Absolutely. <laughs> but that's only an aspect of it. And to tie your identity mm-hmm. to those pieces of paper that are on the wall is sometimes like tying your identity to a piece of cloth uh, you know, on your uniform that you get from going to different schools yes. and getting different skill oh, identifiers. Yeah. But really focusing on the three H's, which I love, right? Your heart, your head, and a hunch. Um, It really gives you the right compass to always kind of come back to when you need to take a tactical pause and reset. Am I I doing the right across all three? But by doing that tactical pause, it means you're constantly growing. And where are you currently growing right now where it, it does present some vulnerabilities for you? And it forces you to constantly work on this new talent or skill set. So I am 
learning to give myself some grace. You know, stoicism is, and I already mentioned Ryan Holiday, right? Is a is a is a great like topic of discussion nowadays, and you know, it's been around for a long time, but it's it is kind of this uh, thing that is very popular for folks now. And you know, I've read deeply into it, and I you know try to be stoic myself, and I've realized over time I've been a little bit too cold. You know, my wife is sometimes reflected that I didn't show enough emotion or I didn't seem like I was connected, even though I would tell her, like, I'm happy. And she's like, oh, you, you sound like Eeyore right now. Uh, Why well, you saying, oh, so you're so happy, right? So right now I'm really working on uh, sh- giving myself some grace, showing showing up more emotionally, not only for her and for people around me, but like getting in tune with those emotions as well. I just haven't, you know, I've not been like a sad or depressed guy, but I've always kind of tried to emulate like this. um, Yeah, I'm always cool. Everything's always, even if my, you know, feet up under the water, uh, like the duck just going and going and going, that I was all collected, right? Now I'm trying to be more open to what those feelings are and then absolutely sharing them. And uh, I've gone so far as bullet journal for the last couple of years and actually take down daily like what I thought my emotionality was, and then aggregating that every month and comparing it month to month, and then doing that for a whole year and comparing year to year, and then having those conversations daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly with my spouse to say like, do you think I was like really sad this week? Or was I kind of meh? Or you think I've been pretty happy? And then having those conversations. To be really vulnerable and blunt, I had a really bad January, the uh, you know saddest I've been in months. I think uh, just because a lot of different things in my life and transition and telework and you know kind of other things, and I had that data. And the first thing I did was express it. I showed it to my wife, and I was like, "Hey, I was kind of really sucking. Like, can we have a talk about it? Can we figure out what was maybe going on with us, with me, and how can you know? Can you help me?" going into the next month. So that's about what I've been working on. I have some dear friends, right? They say one dot is a data point, two dots is a line, three dots is a trend. When you go to aggregate, you know, how you're feeling, what kind of categories do you use uh, in the bullet journal? I have kind of a, a three-tier system for my mood specifically, but I, you know, I catalog a couple other things like, you know, how much time I put into my uh, professional life, how much time I put into my family. I kind of track all of those things during the day. But specifically for my mood, I try to go off of like, how did I wake up? How was I present when I woke up? What was the feeling I had to start the day? And then I look at throughout the day, the different things I had to do, tasks or events or spaces I was in, you know, was I, was I happy with my kids? Was I joyous? Those kind of like really putting a label to the different moments of the day and how I felt. And then at the very end of the day, trying to aggregate that. So say I had a really great day, but I got in an argument uh, at the end of the day with either my spouse or some, some work colleague. How does that change the whole dynamic of the day? Sometimes I will mark the day as uh, terrible. I was sad uh, because of that one critical moment. But sometimes... Um, just the way I kind of look back at things and how I write things down. I will say, well, you know, that that didn't overtake my entire day. Give myself some grace like I've been talking about and say, well, actually, 
I had a good workout this morning. I got a chance to uh, eat breakfast with my wife before I went to work. I dropped my kid off to school and she told me a really great story. I had an argument at work. It was really terrible and embarrassing. But then when I got home, we had a great dinner, great connection. And my youngest daughter and I laughed and danced and tickled each other before she went to bed. So that made up for all of that. So overall, that was a good day. Super happy. And then, you know, it's just kind of like, a, a, literally, it's a smile. It's a meh or it's a frown for the day. And then at the very end of the month, I aggregate all of those up to see how many smiles, frowns, and meh days I had. And that's how I kind of aggregate data over time. Real simple. I can make it way more complex than it used to be. But uh, I learned uh, getting a PhD that you can make things uh, overcomplicated or you can simplify things. So this is my my simplified way of uh, tracking data for myself. Like you said, it's not one specific moment within the day. It's the overall day of where you're feeling and you're able to do it at different points so you understand and recognize trends, not only daily, but like you said, through the years. Would you say that habit has mostly improved your life in the last five years or is there something else that you've kind of come across? Oh my goodness. I will be one of those people that will always champion bullet journaling, right? Like I did all the research and I looked at all the, you know, listened to all the podcasts, looked at all the video stuff about it. And I, you know, I got really into bullet journaling a couple of years ago. And then I found my way of doing it that which I would advocate for everybody. Like there's, I mean, you can buy bullet journals that are like all already formatted and stuff. I still draw everything in my, I get a blank moleskin and I have this kind of system I've built and I draw it, you know, physically. And it takes a long time to set that up for a whole year. Uh, so I usually do it in six month chunks because uh, it'll take me a whole weekend to just draw it all out. But that is the habit that has improved my life so much over the last couple of years because I finally had the data. You know, there was a couple of years ago when my wife, Asher, was like, you always just seem so meh. You seem so sad. You just don't seem connected to us sometimes. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She was like, this month was terrible. And I was like, this month was great. We went on like five dates and we went on that one trip. And she'd be like, well, you don't act like it. Like, how do you even know how you feel? You don't, you don't like reflect that at the end of the day. So that was one of the things where I was like, I need to track this stuff. And it has really changed not only me, but I think our family, because like when I first started doing this, Tony, you don't know how important it was to show the data to my wife, to show it, to physically say like, this is how I think I showed up. Does it match? Right. Does the audio match, match the video? Is this what you were experiencing with me, too? And she started to see like how I was actually expressing myself. And I could just like, man, you said you were happy these last couple of days. I didn't see that. So maybe you need to show up differently. So it allowed me to change my behavior a bit, quite a bit. And then if you think about that in other spectrums, right? Like I've shared this with soldiers and people I worked around, right? So now they're starting to see like how I actually show up and we can talk and reflect. And I'm, I don't care about like, you know, I'm well over trying to be like the hard ass that's like, not wanting to be vulnerable with, with people around me. I will show that stuff. So it's really, really altered my life. And it's because I have the data. Tony, I can tell you three years ago how happy I was in the month of February. I mean, no, most people can't do that. I actually have like a percentage point and I can compare that February to the February after that to the February now. 
And that's maybe super nerdy, but also very important for me, a person who's not a, you know, I'm never finished. I'm always a, uh, always improving, never finished product. Um, and it allows me to keep striving and driving and growing. That is absolutely game changing. Uh, I know you talked about it for me, but the data is one aspect of it because you can continue to track it, but it's that communication piece. It's a direct conversation where you're getting away from small talk where it's, Hey, how are you feeling? I'm doing good. Well, you're not showing it. It's like, I think I'm doing good. And here's, here's how I've tracked it. Oh, well, I'm seeing it from a different perspective, whether it's your spouse, partner, colleagues at work. Yes. And that allows you to just reset yourself constantly as opposed to just going down a course of action, if you will, uh, only to arrive at the end state of something radically different than what both you and other people who are part of that organization expected to get to. Absolutely. It's a personal AER, right? Like we can do data track. We can do this stuff for other metrics, right? How many DUIs we got, how many times we went to the range, how well we shot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for all those military folks out there, right? It's easy to watch the metrics on other things that are quantifiable and, you know, maybe qualifiable as well. But how many of us have measures of performance or measures of effectiveness for our humanity, for who we are, who we bring to the table as a leader, right? Now, I'm a, I think I'm a leader as a husband, too. I think I'm a leader as a father, too, right? I want to be the same kind of person all throughout the day, online, offline, with my family, with people at work, with friends, around a fire, having a nice drink, or, you know, in a presentation at, you know, some someplace I'm working like the Pentagon or something. I want to be that same person, but I got to have the data to make sure, you know, I am showing up uh, the way I want to or the way I present self. And too many of us will be all over the data at work for our, our metrics, for our evaluations or for our organization, but we won't take the time to do that for ourselves. And we are missing a fundamental aspect of life with regard to knowing yourself and seeking self-improvement. You can't not do it for yourself, but then do it at work. Like, what sense does that make? And to that point, right? Like that consistency where you want to show up in different roles that you have throughout your life. You're really good at, or we're really good at aggravating that data at work because Mm -hmm. we constantly work with that data. But if you don't find it and play with it and understand it, you're going to need to fail along the way to really understand where the data works. Like you said, you've been doing bullet journaling for six years and you're still tinkering with the system as you go. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. And failure's played a role in that. So where has failure led to a great success in your life? One of my greatest failures for sure, I could give you like an army example, but I think that's kind of, it's going to be kind of cliche. And I'll circle back to it. You can ask me for that one too, if if you want me to, but I'm going to give you one from my household. Many, many moons ago, when my oldest daughter, who's now 12, she was like two or three, maybe four. And um, I don't know what I was mad about and neither does she remember, but I snatched an iPad from her that had a case on it. And I was so mad, I flung it across the room and I smashed the iPad case against the wall. And I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a pink iPad case and it was shattered. She too remembers that moment. And she too does not remember what I was mad about, but she remembers me acting completely out of character with 
uh, that moment of anger. And it was a moment for me that will always stick because I didn't uphold my personal character. And not only did I fail as like a father, right? I failed as a man. I failed as a husband. I failed as a leader in that moment. And I wasn't living up to not only like my personal aspirations for who I want to represent as just a human being, I failed my daughter. Uh, and I, I think I failed, you know, the fathers who have invested in me and the people in my community who have invested in me to make me a better person. What did I learn from that? I learned one, I could never do that again. And it, and it hasn't happened since, right? Nothing even similar. But I also learned, like, I need to check my anger. Maybe I need to talk to somebody and figure out, like, why I would get that angry. It also allowed me to build some patience. So I now have a three-year-old, right? I, we had a surprise baby some years later, right? So I got a 12 and a three. That three-year-old has never once seen me that angry and never will. Because that moment for me and that failure for me really taught me to get myself in check, go get some help, figure out what that is, and then, you know, strive to have the patience and the moral character alongside the performance character to just do the right thing. And that has helped in so many other ways, too. It has helped me be less angry at work and everything. If you can start at the house, man, you can do it anywhere else, right? If anybody can press your buttons, it's your kids. So, you know, learning that lesson with London, even though it was it was tough for her and tough for me, is taught me so much about patience, about seeking help, about uh, managing emotions, strong emotions like anger. Uh, and that's a real touchy point for me, you know, but I'm as much as it was unfortunate to happen in a in a weird way, you know, I'm glad that it happened because I, I needed that kind of lesson at that point in my life to get myself together. When you have a spike like that, it really allows you to hyper-focus on the root of the problem as opposed to continuing to address like little symptoms that, that are in the peripheries that we think is the actual problem because there's just so much noise, but that spike becomes a signal. It was. And, and it's been such a signal that you're going to continue to carry it forward as you have 10 plus years later. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, I share this thing. I share it openly. I have something called a failure resume. This moment that we just talked about is actually on it. It's printed on it. And I've made this thing public. You can look me up on LinkedIn, look back through my posts, search failure resume, and you can find it. So it's not like, you know, I don't tell people at work or I just do this on podcasts. Like I tell everybody about this um, because it was a it was a moment of learning for me. And I'll continue to share. I'll share it in front of any formation I get the chance to be in front of or, you know, anybody who really wants to talk about it. And I have other failures, too. We have many. This is just one that has been like a clarion call for me to make sure, you know, I'm straight with regard to mental health and, 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 and those kind of things. No, and that's very powerful to recognize. It's not just one failure, but it is a specific failure that helps kind of move put that momentum in the, in the proper direction that we want to go. We kind of touched on an Easter egg, and I want to make sure we re revisit it. For the longtime Sixers, uh, you might have heard the failure resume before from Josh Bowen on an earlier podcast. Oh, yeah. Surprise, yeah. the mentor he was talking about is the, our guest today. <laughs> As we wrap up, sir, it's been an absolute honor to be able to share time together. But I want to focus on one last question. Uh, and we, we talked a lot about, you know, heart and hunch, and keeping your head straight, 
looking at your failure resume uh, and constantly revisiting that over time. How today, sir, are you better than yesterday? Well, in a practical sense, I started going back to work today. Uh, no more telework. And so I, you know, a whole like six or seven or eight weeks uh, worth of telework. And it just was, you know, it changed, it completely changed my routine. I'm a, a person of creature of habit. I think Socrates once said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence is therefore a habit. So I'm really much like I wake up the same time. I do the same kind of routines, I, you know, bullet journal, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, coming home for all those weeks, while it helped me in a lot of different ways, as far as dropping my kids off to school and all those beautiful things, you know, I had to like break a routine, set up a new routine. And now I'm in a space where I'm kind of getting back to that old routine that is more, probably I was more used to, you know, um, as far as like having that external office place where I can kind of be very good about separating the stresses that are there from the stresses that are in the home and et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's how I'm better from yesterday in like a real practical sense. You know, I'm, I'm back to some of the things that allowed me to be very routine. And then I kind of, I think I alluded to some of them just working through, you know, getting ready for a command upcoming this summer, rooting through, you know, making sure I'm honest with myself and sharing some grace with myself. I'm, I am my worst critique, my worst critiquer. I'm really hard on myself and I'm trying to be better about that as I, you know, go to these pre-command courses and, and get ready for what uh, the Army has uh, blessed me with a chance to do. So that's how I'm better from yesterday, man, I think. That's awesome because you're able to understand the routine you had, do a, almost a pivot, go back to a, like a former routine, but because you're able to have, you know, similar threads that connect the two, it's more of like a shift as opposed to like a hard 180 and stop. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Luckily, I got a lot of great people around me. My wife, my kids, they take care of me. They allow me to do these shifts, these pivots, if you will. And, you know, I've been really taken care of by a couple teammates at work that have allowed me to kind of shift and pivot and do different things for uh, where I work. And then obviously in the military mentor space, a man that I've had a lifeblood. Like I just I'm always the one coming up with the wonky ideas that they got to figure out. You know, I'm just throwing spaghetti at a wall and they're like, oh, let's scrape that off the wall and make it into an actual meal, Chevy. Like you're talking all this crazy stuff. So uh, I'm surrounded by people who, again, have the right hunch, have the right heart, have the right head. And they're allowing me to uh, continue to grow. And I really appreciate it. Just like you are, Tony. Thanks. And having that tribe in all those different aspects continues to keep us an honest broker and we see that in the data, literally. Oh, for sure. So where can people go to connect with you, military mentor? Give us the list. So I am the only Chaveso cook on the planet, man. C-H-A-V-E-S-O. That is me. If you Google me, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, that's me. So Google me and you can find me. I am on LinkedIn and Facebook as an active user. I'm more passive on uh, Instagram and uh, the other one, Twitter. But all my name is always the same, like on all of those platforms. So it's not like I have some some crazy unique handle. Uh, so you can find me there. But you can f- also find our organization, militarymentors.org, either on its own website, that the one that I just said, or on all four of those platforms as well. And if you look up Military Mentors and you see the Handshake logo, that's us. Um, so please come find us. And if you would be interested in you know your own development, we have a lot of free resources. 
But if you wanted to kind of ratchet it up a step and get into a six-month leader development cohort with people across the services, it's also international. We've we got people applying from like Spain and London and stuff like that. Across domain, we have academics and retirees and people in the other nonprofit spaces. If you want to be around those type of people, maybe not just look us up and sign up for our newsletter, but sign up to be an emissary and let's uh, ratchet up your ability to be a good mentor and leader who wants to dent the universe just like we do. Everyone I've talked to, it's just, it's an incredible six months, life-changing sign up. We'll make sure we link all the links in the show notes. Sir, thank you so much for your time, sharing your ideas, your methods, your strategies, being vulnerable with us. And most importantly, thanks for having our six, sir. Always got your six, Tony, and uh, all of you out there too. Go have a great day, dent the universe, and uh, pay it forward. Sixers, thank you for listening to another episode of the Got Your Six podcast. If you got something out of this, be a battle buddy. Share with a friend, pass it along. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you leave us a review and give us as many stars as you think we warrant because we love what we do here at the Got Your Six podcast. We're always adapting and evolving this podcast because of you, the Sixers. And if you're listening on Spotify, hit that follow button. You'll never miss an episode when we drop new ones every Monday. I don't know what you've been told, Sixers, but the lawyers would like us to remind you that the views, opinions, and comments expressed on the Got Your Six podcast are solely those of the hosts or guests to include current and previous Department of Defense employees and should in no way be considered the opinions of or endorsements on behalf of the Department of Defense or any of its components, divisions, contractors, or other current and previous staff members.